O Lord our God most high, we tremble in your holy presence with holy fear. And we come before you now as we unfold your word. We ask for the grace to understand your word. I ask, Lord, for the grace to explain your word in a manner which is pleasing to you and beneficial to your people. Lord, open up the eyes of our hearts so that we might behold wondrous things. In Jesus' precious name, amen. My pastoral colleagues and I often bemoan the state of the world in our secret chambers when we get together with one another. And one of the things we bemoan is the lack of biblical literacy. You'll hear things like this. People just don't study their Bibles anymore. Folks don't know their Bibles the way they used to. You'll hear that from pastors who are a little bit older than myself. That's true. We live in a, an age where the Bible is easy to access and it's little sought, which is a great tragedy. But there is one verse that everybody seems to know, and it's not John 3.16. People know that from football games. There's one verse that everybody seems to know. Judge not, lest you be judged. Matthew chapter 7. Even the most hardy of pagans knows that verse. They seem to somehow have found it by osmosis. As soon as you begin to point out any of their horrific behavior, judge not, lest you be judged. Everybody knows this verse, Christian and non-Christian alike. And it is an extremely powerful verse, and it is an extremely unnerving verse, and it is a very misunderstood verse as well. Because when people say that verse, what they're really saying is, who are you to stand in judgment of me? Who do you think you are to correct my behavior? You're no better than I am. You have your own faults, so do not stand in judgment or sit in judgment of me. In other words, I'm going to do what I want to do, and there's nothing you or anyone that can say that will change my mind or make me alter my behavior. That's the essence of it. I want to do what I want to do, and I will do it even if God says I am not allowed to do that. Judge not lest you be judged, Matthew 7, 1. Oh, that's a command. It's coming right from the mouth of the Savior. So we do well to heed it. Judge not, lest you be judged. So therefore, we can logically deduce that we're never to correct anybody. Correct? We're never. I, as a pastor, can never ever, ever point out anyone's sin because I'm a sinner myself. Ruling elders do not have the authority to say yay or nay on certain church issues because, after all, they cannot judge. They are sinful, finite, fallen men. 
Deacons cannot make any judgment with regard to church finances or the use of church buildings because, after all, they are sinful, finite, fallen men, correct? Ah, if you take it to its logical end, parents can't even correct their children. Parents are sinful. Children are sinful. Judge not lest you be judged. Well, let's hold on to our hats just for a moment because that's not really what this passage is telling us. Actually, in this passage, we are given authority to judge. We are given authority to make decisions. The word judge means just that, to decide. That's simply what it means, to decide. Did any of you have frozen cod liver oil for breakfast this morning? I don't even know if such a thing exists. I know cod liver oil exists, and I know it's not as tasty as syrup. No. If it was offered to you instead of pancakes, would you decide to have that frozen cod liver oil? I hope not. You made a decision. You judged that one would be tastier than the other. We make decisions and judgments all day, every day. It's an impossibility not to. You often hear people say, well, we can't legislate morality. Politicians, some politicians say that. It's almost always with regards to abortion. We can't, we can't, we can't legislate morality. Well, there are laws in every state in the union against theft, are there not? And theft is immoral, so they are legislating morality. And I know that murder is not condoned in any of the 50 states. There are penalties for it. So they are legislating morality. What they're talking about is a particular area that they just want to leave alone. Judgments are made all day, every day. Some things they're serious and some things they're not. If you want to wear a powder blue shirt, fine. If you want to wear a white shirt, that's fine too. Off-white with a touch of cream, not a problem. Most of them are neutral. Wear them anytime you want. Nothing immoral about it. To steal or not to steal. To cheat or not to cheat. To lie or not to lie. To murder or not to murder. To gossip or not to gossip, I'm not going to go on, okay? Those are decisions we have to make. When you sin, you make a decision to do so. When I sin, we make a decision to do so. It may be a split-second decision. We hopefully regret that decision very soon after we make it, but we do have to decide to go right or left. We do have to decide to obey God or disobey Him. That's why we often tell children, just don't speak until you think about what you're going to say. It's fairly proverbial advice, and it's proverbial because it's very good advice. Just think about what you're going to say before you say it. How many of us have heard that or said that? It's common. Judge not, lest you be judged. Why? For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is saying that there is an objective standard for moral judgments. 
And the standard that person A uses to make a judgment about person B is the same standard that person A will then be judged by. In other words, in God's economy, everybody's equal at the bar of God. Even the king of Israel was subject to the law of God. And that was something fairly unique in the ancient Near East. In the ancient Near East, if you were the sovereign of a nation, you were either a god or a demigod, like a semi-god. A gift from the gods to the people to dictate to them, to uh, tyrannize them, to rule over them. In Israel, the king was subject to the law. The first king of Israel found that out rather harshly, did he not, Saul? He took certain prerogatives onto himself. He tried to act like a priest. Wow, why couldn't he act like a priest? Well, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, and only the tribe of Levi could do those type of sacrifices. We say, well, what's the big deal there? He was worshiping God. No, violated the second commandment. He was worshiping the right God in the wrong way. He had no authority to do those things in God's economy. Because those offices of prophet, priest, and king, they weren't set up by God willy-nilly. They were set up to foreshadow and foresignify the offices of his son. Only Christ holds the office of full prophet, full priest, full king. And no other man ever had all of those three in their fullness. There are a few men who looked like they had two and a half, but they never had all three. They were reserved for the second Adam, Jesus Christ. So when Saul, who was a prophet, and who obviously was a king, when he took it upon himself to make the judgment that he could act as a priest, he overstepped a really bad boundary, and the kingdom of God was torn away from. He was torn away from him as well because he failed in his kingly duties. He was to put to death everything. And when Samuel comes and arrives, the priest, the high priest of Israel's time, Saul comes up to him and says, I have done the will of Yahweh. I've done the will of the Lord. And Samuel says, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? And Saul says, well, I saved the best for the sacrifices, you know, to worship God. No, 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 no. That wasn't the orders. The orders were to lay waste to the whole thing. And by the way, you didn't kill the king? You didn't kill the other king? He failed. Saul decided to act like a priest and not fulfill his duty as a king. Boom. Broke the law. Disqualified. There's one standard at the bar of God. Why do you look at the speck, piece of sawdust, in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? A speck is a speck. It's really a piece of sawdust. And a plank, we can liken it to a two-by-four. Now, the, the figure of speech is, is kind of odd, isn't it? None of us have a, literally a two-by-four or two-by-eight in our eye. Some of us sometimes get a speck in our eye, and it's annoying, but a two-by-four, it just doesn't fit. What Jesus is doing is making an exaggeration. He's saying, look, your brother's doing A. But if you haven't looked carefully, you're doing A, B, and C, and following it up for dessert with X, Y, and Z. 
In other words, you're doing stuff that's far worse than your brother who you're trying to correct. So therefore, you cannot make a judgment. Murderers have no right to try and correct gossips. Gossip is a horrible sin. It's character assassination. It's verbal murder. But it's quite different, frankly, from physical murder. And as someone is a physical murderer, they have no moral authority to say, hey, you know what? You shouldn't gossip like that. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's, that's bad. Really, you've got the blood on your hands. Do we have two-by-fours in our eyes? A lot of times we do. Now, let's just say you could have a two-by-four on your eye. What would that do to your vision? Kind of obscure it, I would think. It, you know, if you had a two-by-four in your eye, it would be very difficult to see out of that eye. Dare I say impossible. And that's what Christ is getting at. That our sin makes it impossible for us to see reality clearly. Sin makes you very, very stupid. It makes you insipid. It makes us do things that are crazy. It makes us do things that we wish we were not have done once we've done them. It makes us stumble. It makes us fall. It hurts us. And what Jesus is getting at here is if you have this large sin in your eye, you can't see clearly to make a judgment. If you did not have taste buds, and if you did not have a sense of smell, then chicken cordon bleu if you like that, would taste exactly the same as frozen cod liver oil because you wouldn't have those sensory apparatus to make the decision that one is better than the other. There's a reason why you like chocolate more than medicine. It just tastes better. And no matter how much they try and make the medicine taste nice, you can still taste the medicine deep underneath even though it tastes a lot better than the medicine used to. If you can't see, you can't decide between black and white. And sin blinds us. Sin makes it difficult for us to see, makes it impossible for us to see, depending on the largeness and the severity of the sin. But then Jesus continues. Hypocrite. First, and this is where we need to be careful, first, remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, there is the, there's the twist. Judge not lest you be judged. Yes. If you're doing A, B, C, X, Y, and Z, then don't dare to correct your brother who's only doing a little Arabic letter A. Because you're guilty of greater sins. But, but, Jesus here in verse 5 is giving us the, not only the authority to make moral judgments, but he's commanding us to make moral judgments. The catch is, is that we can't be doing the same behavior. If we're doing X, Y, and Z, we have no right to tell anybody else, don't do X, Y, and Z. But if we're not, if you're not stealing, then you not only have the authority, you have the right dare I say you have the responsibility to tell another thief, 
that's a sin in the eyes of God. Because you see, then you're not a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a poser, a play actor, someone playing a role, someone who is trying to show that they are more than they really are or less than they really are. They're trying to hide their true self. But if you're not doing a particular behavior, you have every right to tell someone that's wrong. But people don't like to be corrected. It's, it's, uh, it's not fun. Not many people like going to the dentist. Maybe a few people do, but most of us Try to avoid it as much as possible. Why? Because generally speaking, it's painful. It's expensive and painful. And neither one of those is very much fun. We don't like to be corrected for our moral faults. None of us do. But a wise person will. If you go to the book of Proverbs, it is replete with pleadings to not be a fool. And a fool in the covenantal biblical sense is not someone who is ignorant of the facts. It is someone who is willfully neglectful of the facts. It is someone who knows to do right and doesn't bother. A wise person is someone who knows what to do and actually does it. It's wise not to steal. Not because you might not get caught by the authorities, but because God is always watching and you will always get caught. It is wise not to murder because God is watching and you will always get caught. It is wise not to cheat on your spouse because no matter how dark it is, God is watching and you will get caught. It's wise not to lie. You may fool everybody all the time, but God will never be fooled. He's wiser than us. Think of what Job said in chapter 12 there. Can't hide from him. He's in charge of the kings of the earth. He can do anything he wants with them. Book of Proverbs tells us that God takes the heart of the king and turns it like a water course anywhere he may. So I need to ask you, are you judging people for smaller sins than you are actually committing? Obviously, it's a problem. Jesus is pointing out that it's a problem. And he's giving us the correction. He calls us hypocrites and you do not want God to call you a hypocrite. That's not a good thing to be. And we hear this charge by the unbeliever. Well, I don't go to church because the church is filled with hypocrites. Mm. No, not really. What they're really saying is, yins aren't perfect there. They're not perfect enough for me. So I'm not going to go. What they're really saying is, when someone says the church is full of hypocrites, what you need to say is, not really, it's filled with sinners. And hypocrisy also happens to be a sin. It's a sin, it's a form of lying. It's a form of deception. So yes, the church does have hypocrites in it. There's liars in it. There's thieves in it. It's a spiritual hospital, it's a military hospital. Yeah, there's sinners, places filled with them. Loaded with them. And by the way, you're welcome. You're welcome to come in because last time I looked, you were awfully sick yourself. Come on in. Now here's the catch. Is that when a sinner comes in, they need to be shown the way. They need to be shown a better way. They need to be given the light. Because think of this, this, this figure of speech. If you have a two by four in your eye, you can't see any light. 
you take the two by four out of your eye, you see light. God is light. In him there is no darkness. So when a sinner comes through the doors of a church, the little C, and all they get is condemnation and not correction, it doesn't work. There's a difference between condemnation and correction. Correction is where you say, you know what? I see what you're doing, and if you'd like, I can show you a better, more productive way to do that. Condemnation is where you just say, that's just dumb. Why are you doing it that way? And you don't bother to show them a better way. When a sinner comes, we need to point them to that cross. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the only way. Not my way, not your way, not the highway. Only Jesus is the way. And we have to be continually pointing ourselves and each other and others on the outside to Calvary. Where the salvation of God's people was accomplished. We have to point them to that definitive act where it was finished. That's what Jesus said. It is finished. There's nothing left to do on his part. Except sit at the right hand of the Father and wait for his enemies to be crushed one by one to be made a footstool for his feet, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, as this passage continues, Jesus looks like he takes a sharp left turn. And we get a different view of Jesus than we might often think. Very often, Jesus is portrayed as, well, frankly, a hippie, drippy, uh, very, very thin, emaciated, um, effeminate type of person. And, uh, well, here he's saying some pretty nasty stuff. Do not give what is holy to the dogs. Do not cast your pearls before swine, unless they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. All right, he's calling people dogs and pigs here. This is important to realize that Jesus is in the Old Covenant. Pigs are off limits. Can't touch them, can't eat them. You still don't want to eat a dog. Dogs are not allowed to be used as a sacrifice. These are both unclean animals. This is a difficult verse to interpret. And I might preach further on it next week. But let me just say this. In the context, Jesus is obviously saying that even if you have no two-by-fours in your eye and you're trying to correct somebody of the specks of sawdust in their eye, there are some people out there who just won't bother to listen. They won't. And Jesus, frankly, is likening them to unclean animals who will rip you to shreds. There comes a point where we have to say, and it is, again, another decision where we just say, you know what? I've talked to him about this for 35, 40 years. And it's gotten us nothing but strife. So, I'm going to leave you on your way. I recently had uh, someone who's very dear to me tell me, point blank, don't talk to me about Jesus anymore. I don't want to hear it. Okay, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty plain English. Don't want to hear it. Used to believe it. Don't believe it anymore. Don't bother me. I'm going to give him what he wants. Maybe. I don't know. No, he's very dear to me. But Jesus is saying here that there are people in this world 
who won't ever listen to reason. They won't ever listen to the gospel. And all you'll get is horrific backlash from them. And what's sad is that sometimes this happens actually in the covenantal community where a brother or a sister will be doing something that's divisive or disruptive in the church and the elders try and correct that person and they get nothing but backlash and nothing but invective. When all the elders are trying to do is to correct things so that harmony and peace can be found in Christ's church. These are difficult verses, brothers and sisters. But please don't allow them to be misunderstood. Please don't allow them to be used by you or anyone you know as a blanket for cowardice. It's an act of moral cowardice to not seek in love to correct someone who is sinning against the living God. If you had a loved one who whose brakes were faulty on their car, would you tell them? Or would you let them drive on the ice without a master cylinder? Well, Driving a car with faulty brakes is dangerous. Sinning against the living God as a way of life is incredibly more dangerous. Use these verses wisely. Study them. Let them go into the depths of your being. But do not use them as a hammer to beat people with. And do not use them as a blanket to not say anything at all. Use them in their proper context. And the Spirit of God will bless our efforts. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we ask you for wisdom in this endeavor. In the name of your Son, Amen.